Amen. Amen. Before the ministry of the word tonight, just a reminder, next Wednesday, May 10th, is our night of worship, an entire hour of worship. So we hope you'll come, invite friends to come with you, family to come with you, co-workers, neighbors, for a night of worship. It's going to be a very special night here next Wednesday. And then we'll resume Exodus on Wednesday, May the 17th. Wednesday, May the 17th. Exodus 32 tonight. Guys and gals, I'm just... I'm just going to share from my heart tonight. I'm not going to be able necessarily to follow verse by verse there, so I hope you'll forgive me for that, but we're just sort of going to... We're just going to share tonight, okay? As I shared before worship tonight. Exodus 32, I think actually is very strategically placed before next week's night of worship. Because again, it's a reminder to us that no group of people experienced the wonders and miracles of God like the Israelites did who were delivered out of Egypt and yet how quickly they turned to idolatry. You see, experiences... And miracles and all of those things have no effect on us if our heart isn't responding to God in that moment. These people saw the plagues. They walked across dry ground in the middle of a sea. They saw the pillar and the fire and everything. And yet, it didn't really affect them. It didn't transform them because of their heart. So again, you and I need to be reminded of that. Just because we are part of a spiritual experience doesn't mean there's a heart change that's going to happen unless our heart is open to it. That's why people can attend a church even faithfully over the years and never really change. Because change doesn't come from the environment alone that you and I are in. It comes from where our heart is at when it's in that environment. Exodus 32 starts out with Moses enveloped by the glory of God and in fellowship with God on the mountain. And he's been there for Many, many days. Why is Moses hanging out there so long? I'll tell you why. Because God didn't want him to leave. If God would have wanted Moses to leave, he'd have left a long time ago. God wanted Moses to stay in his presence for an extended period of time. And I'm sure Moses was okay with that. But that is a reminder to us that God and what God wants to do in our lives can't be rushed. And that there's times where God calls us to himself and just wants us to hang out with him and not leave so quickly. Not be on such a time schedule. Because God understands way more than we do that 
It is through his presence that if our heart is responding and open, that real transformation takes place. And God was changing Moses during those 40 days on the mountain. And God can change us when we're in his presence, again, if our heart is open to it. Willing to move and respond to the presence of God. We're going to talk more about that on Sunday. Now notice what happens, though, in the meantime. The people of God are not waiting properly. There's a delay. Where's Moses? How comes he hasn't come down from the mountain? What's going on? And in that time of waiting and delay, they now are getting ready to step into an extreme deviation from God. That is a reminder to us that some of the most challenging times you and I will have in our walk with God are those times where God is delaying, where we're having to wait on God. And we have a choice. We can stay the course until we are directed by God to do something different, which is what they should have done, or we can begin to take matters in our own hands because we're getting impatient. And we want to see something happen or something different. I mean, they start to say things like, well, Moses might not ever come back and all these crazy things. I mean, when did God ever reveal that to them? When did Moses ever reveal that to them? God promised them that he was going to take them to the promised land and that Moses would be their leader. So why all of a sudden are they getting all these wild ideas? Because again, their heart's not aligned with God. That's why. And they go to Aaron. And you'll notice there, it says a crowd basically gathered around Aaron and pressured him to make them idols to go before them. And Aaron caves. You know one of the things that tells us? A crowd can influence a weak leader. A crowd can influence a weak leader. There are times where, as leaders, we need to stand, even if it means we got to stand all alone. Aaron should have stood up that day and said, do you all understand what you are asking me to do? I have seen the glory of God. I am not making an idol. But that's not how Aaron responded. He basically says, okay, give me all that gold jewelry you're wearing that came out of Egypt, and we'll melt it down, and we'll make an idol. And notice what happens. The people can't wait to get all this jewelry off and fling it at Aaron to make an idol how willing they are to give their material, the, the things that are materially most valuable when it comes to idol worship and false worship, but sometimes the people of God are so reluctant to support the true ministry of God. 
something's going on there, right? <laughs> and the Bible says that Aaron melted it all down and fashioned this golden calf. Think about it. This man that was given special talents and abilities and skills by God to glorify God is now using those same talents, abilities, and skills to produce idols for false worship and idol worship. And remember, it's just been like a couple weeks that these very same people saw the glory of God. It's also then a reminder to us that sometimes those habits or those patterns of behavior can be cut deep into us. And as I've shared with you before, when when that groove is cut deep, then another groove that's got to even go deeper has to be cut into our lives to prevent that default of our behavior to go back. And the reason I want to bring that up at this point is remember, in Egypt, these folks were immersed in a culture in which gods had some kind of visible physical representation. The Egyptian gods were made by the Egyptians' hands and by the Israelites' hands. And so it's almost like they, again, reverted back to, we, we can't just have a god that, you know, comes down and, in a glory cloud and that, that we can't see and that we can't touch and that's beyond us. We, we got to bring him down to our level and, and make a, a God of, of something that we can make. And the absurdity of all this is, is Aaron even says something to the effect of like, this is the gods that have brought us out of Egypt. These gods didn't even exist except a few hours ago. It, it, it reminds us of the delusional nature of idolatry and false worship. Now, while all this is taking place, obviously God knows what's going on. Moses doesn't yet, but God does. And God says to Moses, Moses, you got to go back down the mountain to those people. So they're acting corruptly. That phrase is an interesting phrase that God uses because it was used in Bible times to describe the fall of a city. In a sense, God is saying, my people have fallen big time. The walls have come down around my people because of their behavior. And an interesting statement is made. It says in the text that they made for themselves these idols. That's important. Why? Because it reminds us that any false worship and anything other than the true worship of God is false worship. Any false worship equals self-worship. 
Remember that. Any false worship actually is self-worship. And the reason that's important, even in our text, is because these people did not care about God or his glory. These people didn't even care about Moses or anyone else. All they cared about was themselves. And what we're going to see by the end of this chapter is Moses, who spent time in the presence of God and whose heart had been transformed through his walk with God all these days and months and years, was not a man who was looking out after himself, but as you're going to see as we move through the text, here was a man who cared more about the people, even as they sinned, than he did himself. That's how you and I know when the worship that we are expressing and that we're moving through and moving to and all of that is making a true difference in our life, we know that we're on the right track with our worship when in our worship, just as we sung about, that it's about God and then it's also about others and not ourselves. If, if our worship in some way is creating more of a, a selfishness on our part, more of a narcissism, more of a self-absorption, then that's not true worship. True worship will take our eyes off of ourself and on to God. And then as we worship God, God then transforms us to look out for others as much as we do ourselves. It's an outward look, not an inward look. That, that's how we know worship is affecting us in a right way, in the way God intended for worship to work. So he tells Moses to go down But before Moses leaves his presence, God says to, to him, he says, I'm done. I'm, I'm done with these people. I'm, I'm just going to end them, and I'm going to start all over with you, Moses. It's sort of, in a, in a sense, similar. It reminds me of how God got all the way down to one family, Noah. And how God literally reduced the population of the world to, to Noah and his family and said, I'm starting all over again. And in a sense, that's what he's saying to Moses now. He's saying, I'm just going to reduce this nation down to one person, you, and let's start all over again. And what does Moses do? Moses intercedes, says, Lord, he appeals to God. First of all, because he knows by walking with God and being in the presence of God and worshiping God properly, he knows, first of all, that God is a God who can be appealed to, who can be reasoned with, and let me say this, who can be moved. See, God doesn't just ask us to be a people who are willing to move. God wants us to know, I'll move too. Because 
Moses prays, God, don't wipe them out. I know they've committed a terrible sin, but don't wipe them out. And the Bible tells us an amazing thing, that God was moved. God was moved by the prayer and the intercession and the appeal of Moses and said, I won't do it. I won't wipe them out. He was moved with compassion and mercy. Moses has had a hard time with these people, a difficult time leading these people. He had his moment right there given to him by God on a silver platter. He could have said, you're right, God, there are terrible people. Yeah, start over with me. Let's let's wipe our hands. No, no. By worshiping God properly, his heart had been shaped for these people, even though they were rebellious, sinful, stubborn, obstinate people. He had a love for them. that was only created by being in the presence of a God who loves us in spite of all of our failures and sinfulness. So Moses starts to make his way down the mountain, and Joshua was somewhere up there. Joshua wasn't like in the cloud and in, in that kind of intimate setting with Moses, but but he also was removed from the people. You can, you can see the, the partnership that Moses and Joshua had even at this point and how they were sort of attached at the hip to a, to a point and how wherever Moses went, Joshua went. And when Moses starts to come down from the mountain, Joshua says to him, it sounds like the sound of war in the camp. And Moses then says, well, but it doesn't sound like noise of victory. And it also doesn't sound like someone who's been overwhelmed by defeat. In fact, it sounds like they're singing. Now, Moses doesn't disagree with Joshua. And there's a reason why he didn't disagree with Joshua. Joshua was actually right on. It was the noise of war. You know what kind of war? A spiritual war. There was a battle in that camp between light and darkness. Because that's what happens when it comes to the worship of God. It's warfare. It's something that Nicole has reminded us of many times as she has led us in worship. And we've even sung songs about that very fact. Worship is warfare. If you have a heart to truly worship God, your spiritual enemy will throw up everything that he can to discourage you, distract you, and keep you from worship. Because though he wants nothing to do with the worship of the one true God, he at least is intelligent enough and smart enough to realize what true worship will do. 
that it will make us more like God. And he wants no parts of that with us. It will make us stronger. It will make us wiser. It will make us more loving and more compassionate. And I mean, go on down the list. So yes, it was noise of war. And you and I have to be reminded of that. In our own personal lives, when it comes to us desiring to worship God, Satan's going to throw up every roadblock and obstacle he can. When it comes to our worship as the people of God, Satan's going to throw up every roadblock and obstacle possible. Listen, I've been in ministry 38 years, and I've been part of a local church since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, because that's the way I was raised. And I got to tell you, every Sunday and every Wednesday, something happened. Something was happening in our family. Something was happening to where we could have chosen not to go to church. In fact, it would have been easier not to go. Because that's what happens. And you and I, as God's people, have basically got to say, we're going to set our face like a flint towards the worship of God in our own individual life and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it doesn't matter what Satan throws at us, we're going to get there. I was talking to some of you before the service and you were just like me, dog tired today. Dog tired. And yet I'm so glad I'm here. Worship is warfare. So Moses gets down off the mountain, and obviously he has to have a talk with Aaron. He confronts Aaron with what Aaron has done. And Aaron has totally lacked any kind of leadership for God's people. It is a great reminder to us, as my mentor once told me, everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And with Moses away, Aaron did not pick up the mantle of being a strong leader to lead God's people. And Aaron basically responds to Moses' confrontation sort of similar to the way Adam and Eve responded when God called them out in Genesis. Aaron starts making excuses. Well, God and Moses, you know how bad these people are. I mean, they're, they're just a terrible bunch. As if he didn't own any responsibility in what happened. And then I love, this is one of the classic, most absurd things I had ever seen in the Bible. Aaron basically, you can see it in the text. Aaron basically tells Moses, Moses, this is what happened. We threw all the gold into the furnace and out popped this golden calf. Like, it just, it just happened. Yeah, right. That's exactly what happened, Aaron. You just threw all the gold into the furnace and out popped the golden calf. Again, it it shows how when we're going down a wrong path, how we just rationalize and make excuses and all that. And that's where Aaron was. 
Well, they needed strong leadership at that point, and Moses sure did step into the gap and provide it. Because at that point, Moses drew a line in the sand. He basically says to Israel, whoever's for the Lord, to me. Wow. Whoever was for the Lord, come to me. Sort of reminds you of what Joshua and Elijah will do later on in Bible history. When Joshua stood before the people and drew a line in the sand. And said to them, choose you this day who you will serve. As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. And Elijah standing before the people on Mount Carmel. And saying, how long are you going to hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then worship and serve him. If Baal is God, then worship and serve him but make a choice because a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. And neutrality with God always leads to tragic consequences. One cannot be or remain neutral when it comes to our relationship with God. We are either in or we are out. You know who stepped forward? You see it in the text, the Levites. The Levites all came to Moses. They were consecrated that day, God said. When you and I take a step toward God, God consecrates us. We are further set apart and dedicated to him. But this was not an easy choice in that Guess what was coming? Moses then was going to employ all of those who came to him to basically exterminate and kill the rebels. And the Bible tells us there in the text that 3,000 men approximately died that day in Israel. We don't know how many others, but we know approximately 3,000 men lost their lives that day. And notice that the text says that for some of these Levites, that was their father, that was their brother, that was their son. They took a stand for God, and it cost the lives of some of their family members. God says to Moses, he's willing to let these people go and not end them. But obviously judgment fell. But then there was this whole thought of Are you going to forgive them, God? And Moses prays for God to forgive these people. 
fact, he even says to them, I'm going to go up and I'm hoping that my intercession will lead to God covering your sin. I want to direct your attention to the word forgive that's used there in the, the text. It's a beautiful word. It's a word that literally means to take up and carry away. Think about it. That's what our Jesus did with our sin. He took our sin upon himself and he carried it away. That's why that Old Testament story of the scapegoat is such a beautiful story of how all the junk, if you will, was placed on the scapegoat and he was led out away to be removed. That's why the Bible teaches us that when God forgives, he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. He throws it into the sea of forgetfulness and doesn't bring it up anymore. That's what forgiveness is. And that's what our God does for all of us. But then I want you to see something else as we wrap this up tonight. We've seen how Moses had a heart for these people in spite of what they had done. How he'd interceded for them several times already in the text. And yet he makes a statement that if there was ever a statement emblematic of the selfless, sacrificial love that Moses had for these people, it was a statement that he makes late in the chapter when he says, God, if you won't forgive them, then blot my name out of your book. Whew. Now, this isn't the book of life that Revelation refers to. There are several books that God keeps records of that are mentioned in the Old Testament. And one is mentioned in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. It is a book of remembrance that God keeps for all those who reverence and honor his name. And I believe that that is the book that is being referenced here in Exodus 32. Moses, in a sense, is saying, don't remember me. I don't want to ever be known at all if it means that, God, you would forgive these people for their sin. It is, in a sense, Moses offering to lay his life aside for these people. Paul, in the book of Romans, chapter 9, says something very similar. He says, God, if it would be possible for Israel, for my people, the Israelites, to come to salvation and to recognize you as my Messiah, if it meant me being accursed from you, I would be willing to pay that price. That's 
ultimate selflessness, right? How do these men, how do women, in the, how do they get to that place where they're literally willing to lay down their lives for someone else? Well, Jesus even said, greater love has no one than this, that a man or woman would lay down their life for a friend. How do we get to that point? Through proper worship of God. But again, not just the experience of being in God's presence and worshiping him, but having a heart that is always ready and willing and open to be shaped and transformed and melted and molded by God. Because false worship, as we saw in Exodus 32, always is self-worship. True worship will always lead to others first. First and foremost, it's all about God. That's true worship. It's not about us. I'm not going to mention any specific churches, but a couple years ago, there were billboards around the East Valley that churches put out. And basically, the billboard said, it's all about you. Come to our church, because we'll make it all about you. And I'm sitting there in my car driving, and I'm just gritting my teeth. I'm like, that's the problem with the church. It's not about us. It's about God. And when we make it about God, we'll be better off. We got it backwards. We focus on us as human beings and leave God in the dust and then wonder why we still struggle. We got to keep making it about God here. And I will say this. I'm so glad we have a worship leader that makes it about God when it comes to our worship. So that was a good sort of leeway into another invitation for next Wednesday. <laughs> See how I did that there? Exodus 32. Don't, don't let this chapter just fade into the back. My encouragement to you is, especially because I didn't do this like I, this was more like I teach on Sunday than on Wednesday night. I didn't go, you know. Go back and read that chapter for yourself. Let some of those things that we talked about and even some of the things that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you that we didn't even talk about tonight. Go back to that chapter. This, this chapter is a, is, a, is a hinge in the entire story of Exodus. Because as the chapter ends, God answers the first prayer of Moses affirmatively, but doesn't answer the second prayer. He says to Moses, no, I'm not going to do that. They're going to be judged. But then he tells Moses, we got to keep going, Moses. So get up and lead those who are left towards the promised land that I have promised.
This was a defining moment, Exodus 32, in Israel's history. And I hope that the lessons and principles that we talked about tonight from this will also maybe be a defining moment in our lives as well. That again, we remember it's not just about the experiences and being exposed to miracles and all that. That's great. And we want God to move and we want him to show up and we want him to manifest himself. But it's not going to affect us at all if our heart isn't open to responding to the God that's behind it all. That's what we need to keep in mind. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you tonight that, Lord, the history of Israel provides us great examples and illustrations and thoughts that, Lord, even can be very applicable to our own walk with you and our own worship of you. And I pray most of all, God, that as we go through our lives day in and day out and even as a church, God will remember that we've got to keep our heart in a place where it's tender towards you, where you can move, where you can penetrate, where you can shape us, God. Because all the great experiences in the world will mean nothing if our heart isn't ready to respond to the God who's behind it all. So God, keep working on our hearts and may we keep giving you our heart, God. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless, we'll see you next week.